great, Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week we are discussing Season 2, Episode 13, Meditations in an Emergency, written by Matthew Weiner and Cater Gordon, and directed by Matthew Weiner. This episode originally aired on October 26, 2008. Hit movies that week. At number one, we have High School Musical 3, a movie I do not remember. Also, at number two, you have Saw 5. Uh, there was like a million of them, weren't they? Yeah. And at number three, you had Max Payne, which is down one spot from last week. Hit songs was Womanizer uh, by Britney Spears, a song I feel like just came out. Saw 5, <laughs> a movie I wish I could forget. Uh. All right. This week on Mad Men, as the Cuban Missile Crisis looms, the sale of Sterling Cooper is finalized. Betty gets some news and shares it with Don, and Peter and Peggy discuss honesty. Hmm. There were a lot of feelings to have about this episode, I feel. Oh, yeah. I was surprised to see Matthew Weiner, like, directly responsible for this episode because I really liked this episode, and I feel like that doesn't always <laughs> happen with his. Um, and then I was like, this is the finale. Of course this is, like, his episode. But, I mean, obviously, shout out Cater Gordon. Mm -hmm. There was one moment, which I'll cover later, where I definitely thought, this is this is where Matthew Weiner came oh, in. Okay. I could feel it here. <laughs> Go on, Matt. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, it, it's worth, um, I think, mentioning, too, and as we kind of covered it in, in the opening, this is the first episode in which Cater Gordon um, is a credited co-writer or writer-on. She, she, I think, was a story assistant kind of throughout the second season, and this is, as far as I recall, her her first writing credit on the show. Hmm. Um, and as we've discussed earlier in the podcast um she was a victim of sexual harassment at you know or done committed by matthew weiner too so just kind of wanted to before we kind of dive into the episode proper i didn't want to like lose sight of that thank you yeah absolutely huh <laughs> what did we so two seasons in the books go go us that's felt momentous we've done two full seasons of of mad men now so yay that's exciting yeah. what did we what did we did we like the episode overall i guess before we kind of dive into the the kind of more beat by beat character by character analysis um how did we feel about the episode and then the season kind of as a well, whole well i liked the episode um I got a little bit stuck on the season as a whole because of the way we're watching the show. I haven't really yeah. thought a lot about the seasons themselves and like how they're constructed and how they fit together. So I don't really have an answer for that. Um, Fair enough. I know at the end of the first season, we talked about like, oh, is Don having a reckoning and like he's a good person now? And like, no, obviously, because there's a bunch of seasons of this show. Um, but here we are again, the end of a second season, another opportunity to say, oh, Don, are you <laughs> a fully good person? And it's like, I think he's a little bit closer and yet there's still a bunch of seasons of this show. <laughs> yes, there are. Um, it's, it's definitely harder to see it in that kind of perspective of like, I guess we're cycling back around where Don is slightly closer to being a human, like it's Westworld or something. Mm -hmm. But <sighs> I think 
Westworld. This ep- this season, yeah. I feel like this season has gotten a little better about not just making the fact that the women are dealing with so much uh, less like, oh, this is how it is for him. It sucks. Okay, moving on. But yeah. a lot of it's just like actually having more um, – more say i guess or i'm completely blanking on the word right now more uh of their own um control on how they're dealing with it and what they're going to do in the face of everything that they've had to deal with so generally i like the, i like the episode i like the episode i do i think i see it more as part of the whole than uh than anything because there was something like i thought it was a lot more like quietly good you know mm-hmm. I would like to mention that uh, you talked about the difference in, like, how the women's stories are, I guess, handled and presented, like, all that stuff between this season and last season. Um, I really feel like the second half of this season especially has been, like, mostly about character development for Peggy and Betty. Mm. Right. And that all kind of comes to fruition in this episode. And, like, I really love that. So, yeah, uh, we have Don Draper. He's the main character. We understand that he's going through a thing that it's going to take him a long time to get through if he ever does. Uh, his cycles are becoming, like, boring to me. I've said that before. But also not that frustrating because it's not the only thing going on. It's not the most important thing going on, even to the episode itself, I think. Right. We also got more Joan too, and her her own personal struggles. Yeah, as opposed absolutely. To just like I should the not the veneer have, that she's been putting on. I should have mentioned her for sure. Joan, how about you, Matt? How you how do you feel about the finale? About the season as a whole? Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I just I kind of echo some of the comments based on kind of how we're we're watching the show and kind of, you know, and, and doing the episodes, you know, biweekly, it kind of, as we can. And it's also been a, a strange four or five months as we kind of go through and kind of continue that. I think some of the, um, kind of full pictureness of the season as a whole, based kind of on how we've been, been kind of watching it for this project, it, it can be a little bit more challenging to kind of get that, that kind of like full picture as if you kind of like binged it and then took a break or, you know, things like that. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, this reminds me of that thing from checks notes four months ago when we recorded an episode. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's tough for me to answer my own question a bit that way, but I do agree with you both that, that while it, you know, it seems like Don is stuck on this, this wheel or in this kind of cycle of, self-destructive behavior and then breaking himself down to the point where he wants to be better or does feel repentant or, or remorseful and kind of, you know, all of that. And maybe he's a little bit closer to, you know, the, the center of the maze to use the uh, Westworld analogy again. Um, each time he kind of goes around his loop. Um, but I think you, you're both exactly right. We're talking about what we spent time with, with Joan. And then I think Peggy kind of, Especially, and I think Peggy's the one over the last two seasons we've probably seen. Well, no, Peggy and Betty, I think, are the the two characters we've seen kind of the most growth from. And I mean, mm-hmm. Peter's got his own, he's got his own stuff going on too. And I think there's been some some stops and starts there. Um, but I think like overall, this season is more 
the show I remember. And not that the first season wasn't. It definitely got there kind of in the middle towards the back half. But the first couple episodes of season one weren't necessarily the Mad Men I remembered. Um, but that totally makes sense because it was new and hadn't kind of found its footing yet maybe and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I feel like we've covered so much of what makes up my memories of of Mad Men. So the fact that we're like at the merger... <laughs> Yeah, I'm just really startled that it ha- started all the way in season two, and I don't know what happened to my memory of the remaining show. <laughs> yeah, in in some ways, it kind of feels like with our biweekly re- release schedule, we're uh, coming back to the office after three weeks later, and we expect nothing to change, and we look back and kind of everything has changed, and if that's not a metaphor for life sometimes, I, I don't know what else is, right? I felt kind of mm-hmm. seen by Kenzie when he was like, I like this company the way it is. And I'm like, I like this show the way it is. I don't want these new stupid other characters. Like, I don't know who they are yeah. or who they will be, and I'm sure that they'll be great. But just, you know, as a person right off the bat, I've all, I'm always kind of resistant to change. Me and Kenzie. <laughs> But, like, at the same time, you know, if it waited too long before it starts shaking things up again, then it might grow stagnant. Absolutely. Because, I mean, already we're kind of tired of Don's whole yep. thing. <laughs> May as well throw in something else, which uh, does happen. Speaking of characters we love, here's Pete. <laughs> oh, Pete. Oh, Pete. I was really, like conflicted by him in this episode so i don't know maybe this is where the brain worms start start coming in <laughs> and, and, and the softening starts i mean um, i feel like all of season two is just like i have a lot of conflicting feelings about pete <laughs> i was texting with friend and former guest on the pod elise about this episode while i was watching it and I apologize to her if I am paraphrasing this incorrectly, but I believe she said that this is one of the episodes where, like, she started to turn positive on Pete. So I'm like, all right, that's cool. I don't, like, really dislike him in this episode, so, like, that's a benefit. And I recently said on pod that I was charmed by him in a conversation, so... (laughs) I'm sorry. The frosting, or the defrosting... (laughs) (laughs) it was nice knowing you yeah who am i um yeah so i guess it's like we're talking about pete but we need to first mention that like duck is just out here fully drinking yeah it's like the first thing he says to pete when pete walks in is like what do you want come on have a drink and it's like pete doesn't even really react to that and not that i would like expect him to i'm curious as to what exactly and 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 why duck is drinking him like we know we've seen him kind of like struggle with his alcoholism earlier like in the season and you know he he kicked his dog out and 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 all those 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 things um and kind of like was reluctant to take the drink when he first met with the folks from putnam powell and low but now at this point like is it 
is it because he is he feeling good? He's celebrating at this point. He thinks he's going to be president of the new merged agency and finally like put Don in his place and reward Peter for his his loyalty with the American Airlines deal that didn't end up happening earlier in the the season. Like, is that is it part of his victory lap or is there insecurity associated with his his new position? Or I don't know. I don't I don't remember if we kind of I've there's been a lot of him conflicted about like drinking because of his alcoholism but now it's like oh hey this is part of the culture so is it how much of it's performative and how much is his his addiction i don't know it's complicated i guess probably right i just don't think that we like duck isn't a character that we get to spend a lot of time with so Mm -hmm. i mean one of those the reason for that i there's probably many one of them i think is because duck seems to just be like an antagonist for Don, like that's his mm-hmm. kind of his whole right. purpose on the show. Um, I kind of am thinking that that's like his whole relationship with Pete is really to serve that in some way as well at this point. Um, right. But as far as like why he's drinking, I mean, he's an alcoholic who was sober and like we saw him take a drink. So it could be as simple mm-hmm. as like he drinks now. Right. Like, you know, he, yeah, he fell fair enough. off the wagon. Um, but also I think it's because he thinks like to himself, I had a drink, the world didn't end and I was rewarded by Mm, this successful merger. And so therefore my drinking isn't a problem, (laughs) which is also alcoholism. Yeah. 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 I'd, um, to me, and maybe this is me reading more into it, but like the little bit we got about him as a, a person beyond just like the the guy that they just kind of deal with at work was, you know, he was generally this very straight laced guy, and we saw his family and him trying to be like a good dad, and then at the end, it's like, well, you know, my relationship with my kids isn't that great. My ex wife is now marrying someone else, and they want him to be their dad, basically. So like, you got the idea that he'd fuck things up along the way. And um, I don't remember the other firm's name, but I just keep calling the one guy Max Sheffield because the nanny is great. <laughs> and he, I think he's, I think he said something about, or someone said something about how like Duck being this used to be this guy who was like very cutthroat, very like sap, you know, business savvy, and uh, now it seems that he's lost his touch. So I kind of related, you know drinking duck with someone who put business ahead of everything who Mm. is able to wheel and deal better so with his family just being like you know we don't care for this version of you either because you are a terrible husband and father up until now anyways he's like well what's the point may as well just be that guy who got results and who got things done so like now that he's drinking and and like that was him making that choice when he took that first drink of like may as well go for it so um and, I, you know, it's not a huge difference when he talks, but he does seem more relaxed and a little more charming and a little more affable when it comes to other people at work. But also his temper is a lot shorter. Yeah, and he's, like, a lot more yeah. aggressive and, like, upfront with his, like, animosity with Don, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can see that guy being the one where everyone's just like, oh, we need Duck to be in our team because he's going to make things happen. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Um, before we go deeper into, like, the whole Pete thing, um, (laughs) Duck says this line when he is talking to Pete, 
uh, he said they're talking about like how Don's gonna handle Duck being the president of the new and improved like merged Sterling Cooper. And Duck says, that's why God put non-compete clauses in contracts. And I, Mm -hmm. like, very nearly had to pause the episode to laugh about the idea that, like, God would be a capitalist and, like, give one (laughs) single shit about what goes on in business. Like, God did not do this. You are a fool. Like, I just thought that was so funny. (laughs) In Duck's world, CEOs are God. I, I know. And it, like becomes even funnier when duck finds out later like not to spoil one of the best parts of the episode but like when duck finds out that like don doesn't even have a contract like where's your god now (laughs) (laughs) well and he thinks he's like right like that's say god being presidents or ceos like he he feels like he's finally like ascended and won and kind of you know he's on on zeus's throne or has a lightning bolt or or whatever right when it comes when it comes to Don and Duck, like, Duck is, like, mustache twirling. <laughs> like, he's like, I got you now. <laughs> oh, I love it. Does, does it feel like he's making so many choices specifically to fuck Don over? <laughs> like, yes. I mean, we can save some of this. I don't know if we need to or we can just, like, move the conversation here. But, like, I'm wondering, is, like, Duck's whole merger just to fuck over Don? <laughs> I mean, I think a little bit. I, I think where their their tension comes from is kind of different different ethoses about how, how to kind of do the work. It's like the push and pull of like accounts and, and creative and, you know, the true business side versus kind of the the artist more artistic side. Mm-hmm. Right. And like Peter, especially like, you know, in, in season one is being our kind of big window into accounts um still has this reverence for dawn and kind of the artful and creative side and he even illegally pitched his or not illegally but you know pitched his own creative at a, at a client out of turn and that was pete campbell's remember pete campbell's last day oh yeah. yeah that was that was that um so peter's definitely kind of stuck in the middle between this kind of push and pull of like the duck and the dawn thing and what what really struck out to me watching this episode and it's something i've been kind of thinking about not just because of Madman, but um in relation to a major musical that may have just released in the last couple of weeks on a corporate streaming platform about the idea of like writers and when they write characters that write of course i'm talking about lin manuel miranda and you know how he connects with, with both hamilton and Byrne and and in the musical hamilton right and how writers portray other creatives or other writers in their work and who are positioned as their opposition, right? So what I'm guessing I'm trying to get at is Duck to me, especially in the, the merger talk in the boardroom, he represents kind of, if you're talking about it like in an entertainment kind of sphere, he's the bean counter. He's the, you know, the producer, just the studio. Whereas Don's like the creative, he's the auteur. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, the writer director. That's like, just, I'm here for the art, man. And yeah, when I have good art, yeah, the millions of dollars, cause I think it's what's $500,000 in 1962, like four point something million, something like that. 2.4. It's either 2.4 or 4.2 million. I, I looked it up. Um, it's one of those two. I can't remember which one though. Um, so the kind of push and pull of like commerce and art, I think we're seeing replicated in this ideological struggle between Duck and Don. And I think the show wants us to be, of course, 
on Don's side because yes, he's the main character, but creatives are writing it, so it, it's interesting, right? That is Look out through that lens. And then Peter, I guess to kind of just bring it kind of full circle, um, there's been a lot of talk about like loyalty with Peter, mm-hmm. right? It's both in this episode and then kind of earlier in the season throughout kind of, you know, the his, his whole dad's day. death. <laughs> well, back then and then even, you know, how he, when he, he goes to Don, uh-huh. Don rebuffs him because he's doing his other stuff when his when his dad dies. And that's when kind of Duck sees his opportunity to get his his... I was gonna say get his hooks into Peter, but that that was I mean that's that's the read the show wants us to have, right? To get his his hooks into Peter, and Peter's rewarded for his loyalty to Duck because President Duck is going President Duck, quack, 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 quack. Um, <laughs> the future president President Duck is going to make Peter head of accounts, which is what he's kind of always wanted for the last two seasons, mm-hmm. seemingly, right? It's what he said he's kind of wanted. It's what he wanted when Don made partner. And then he was pissed off that Don brought Duck in. Um, so he's being rewarded for his loyalty to Duck. But there's that whole discussion with Kinsey and Sal and Ken and, and Harry and their, their you know investigative detective work about loyalty and who you sh- show loyalty to when there's a merger like this. You don't do that. You want to appear neutral because then you'll be you'll be the one that's let go because you're loyal to the old regime. And right after that conversation is when Pete tells Don that Duck's going to be president. So we ultimately know when push comes, when push comes to shove, um, to (laughs) quote Hamilton, sorry, everyone, (laughs) um, that when push comes to shove, Pete's loyalty, even the face of this promotion that he wants is still to Don. And I think that that's interesting, especially in light of that, the whole conversation it's, it starts ostensibly about the clear cell account, but about Peggy's advice to Peter about honesty being kind of the press, the best approach and how people will respond more positively to that. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I guess this isn't, next, this is maybe just like a lot of me putting my own like shit on the show and less maybe in the text of the show, but I like still believe that the loyalty that Pete showed to Duck Um, with the American Airlines thing like cost him very personally and he whatever relationship he has with Duck um, is built on the back of Pete's father even if that is you know him being able to compartmentalize and like use his dad's death for business which I still think that even if Pete is like a you know shell of a man which I sometimes do believe that uh, that's still painful and that is not that's not that's not a that's not what am I trying to say um being able to do that isn't like a positive quality of Pete's it's not like something that made him feel good and it's not something that he can replicate so that on top of the fact that Pete takes Peggy's advice he's loyal he's honest with Duck about Clearasil and he's rewarded for that uh maybe not in like maybe Duck had already had this plan but like in Pete's mind he's like wow like, look at this instant gratification I have just received from being <laughs> honest about this. So then he goes to Don and Don is like, 
I knew you could handle it, you know, trial by fire, basically, <laughs> like just spinning this whole California thing into like, I was waiting until you were ready, you proved yourself, I know you're ready, and like, this is something that Pete can replicate. Like, this is something Pete actually did with like Pete's own positive attributes and con like, you know, so I just, I think that Pete goes back and tells Don, like, I would want, I would want to know if I were you, like, that's something really honest, but I just think that if Pete has to pick between who to be loyal to between Don and Duck, like, I think that the Don relationship to Pete is, like, more pure or, like, I have in the notes, like, feels more clean. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it's, like, I think it comes back to the relationship that Pete built with Don took longer, but on the surface, what Don is saying is that Pete is being rewarded for Pete's actual Pete-ness and not <laughs> his ability to use a family tragedy for gains. I do see that. I do see it. And I think, I mean, plus Pete has this, like, he, we, since knowing him, we he's always had this kind of desperate need for Don's approval. Yeah. And Duck was just kind of someone who's just shown up and isn't super great at connecting with people on, on a deeper level, I feel. Pete has two work daddies. He does. And they both love him a lot in this episode. <laughs> he's feeling good. Like, I'm not sure if Don was just trying to get rid of Pete, but I feel like when I saw that, you can almost just feel like Pete being like, oh, he noticed uh -huh. me. And like, this is all spin. This is Don just oh, totally. being Don. But like, Pete doesn't know it that. power still. Pete doesn't yeah. care. Pete's yeah. like, I worked hard. I got my shit. And like, Duck's, un Don does not need Pete to care about him. Duck, I kind of get the feeling he's trying to replace the son who doesn't want him. Mm. Mm -hmm. So he's like, ooh, pray. That one's vulnerable. And Duck, it doesn't seem like Duck has a lot of loyalists at the company. Mm -hmm. Pete's the only one that he could poach. <laughs> because right. Pete's the one who's the most desperate for work daddy approval. And I think the, the, the kind of thing with that, that stands out the most to me and kind of being like Lucy from Peanuts and like pop, you know, 25 cent or whatever it is, five cent psychoanalyzing Peter from a very... Un un That's what we do here. <laughs> just like reading the, the show. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, is that the point of like Don is spinning him, but it doesn't matter. He just wants to be mm -hmm. seen and understood and validated so badly that it's like, you know, he's able to be spun and like... He says to Piggy later, kind of towards the end of the episode, um, how Trudy doesn't know him and Trudy doesn't understand him the way that, like, Piggy does. And, like, in some senses, I don't think that that's true. I, I groaned pretty hard when I was watching the episode and he said that, um, partially because it reminded me of when Don said something similar to, to Rachel mm -hmm. Mankin last season. And that wasn't um, what, true. That was like no, exactly. deeply untrue. <laughs> exactly. And it, and it's just, it kind of like triggers something in kind of this whole typically, stereotypically kind of 
cis mad heterosexual kind of perspective of like oh i just i'm so so brooding and so misunderstood and i just want the token uh, or the woman and i'm like you know uh the varying degrees of like obsessed with or like have a sexual interest in or even like a, a non-sexual interest or like a a friendship that has elements of a sexual interest, mm. I guess, um, history with, we'll, we'll just leave it there. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, um, to see me and acknowledge me and like validate me. And then by me preaching that like, Oh, it's so, it's so true that so-and-so doesn't understand me, but you do, that's going to get them somewhere with, with the, um, woman that they're, they're interested in. And like, to me, a lot of times, like whether when we talked about this again, when when Don said it to Rachel, it's because either because Peter isn't letting Trudy in, or Peter in this, which is I think the case with Don and Betty in last season, but I think in this case, it's Peter not realizing who his partner actually is, mm-hmm. and I think in their scene earlier where they're they're fighting about. Um, Peter wants to die in Manhattan. He doesn't want to, you know, go with Trudy to to his in-laws house. And obviously he's fighting with the in-laws about, you know, their their influence in, in their marriage. Um and like he doesn't value Trudy and doesn't value Trudy's opinion in the same way that he seems to value Peggy's in this case or Don's or whatever. And like I think that speaks volumes or I would assume that would speak volumes to Trudy about who Peter is in a way that he thinks he's probably being more coy than he actually is. I don't know. What do you, what do you both think? I just, I agree that this is grown worthy. I don't necessarily agree that it's not true that Peggy knows Pete. I think that Pete is on this, like, honesty kick because it worked out for him immediately. And so he's like, oh, you know what else? Like, I'm going to tell Peggy that, like, I think that she has a better read on me than my wife does. I think that that is true. I think that Pete is maybe doing a little spinning of his own right here. But Peggy's seen Pete in way worse situations and in a way worse light than Trudy ever has. And that's obviously Pete's fault. That's not I'm not going to argue that. Um, but I, he threw a chicken out the window. I true. He threw the dinner that, that like, like I don't, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. I just think that Peggy sees Pete doing his thing at work. And I think that that feels more true to Pete than his life at home. Hmm. Like she sees how he operates and she calls him on it when she thinks it's bullshit and she gives him like real life advice that he can implement in his work life, which is the most important thing to him because of his daddy issues um, that he acted upon and worked out positively. So he's like, Oh look, she, she sees me here where my priorities are and she can give me good advice and navigate me like into a better place I think and I just think that he values that type of being seen more than he would value his relationship with Trudy because his priority is not a marriage or a family Mm. the chicken thing was very bad 
<laughs> like I mean, yes, Trudy has seen BP has seen PB straight up trash. <laughs> I do, I do agree that uh, that Pete probably feels like more his real self, or like the per the the version of him that has value is the person he is at work. But I think a lot of what he's doing to Peggy is what he did to Trudy at the beginning. Like you said, Matt, he's not someone who really, like, got to know his wife ahead of time. Mm. He's the person who, when, after he came back from his honeymoon, was just like, hey, (laughs) did you know my wife is funny? Yeah. I didn't know that. People don't forget. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, the whole time he idealized Trudy. She's supposed to be this accessory that, like, fixed certain things in his life and make Don like him as a person and see him as an equal and all these other things. But it turns out she's a whole other person with her whole entire personality in mind and uh, all these things that she wants out of life. And it's not a good fit. So now here's Peggy, who's been keeping herself at a distance and who's been occasionally coming in being a person that he needs a voice of reason who helps make you know things at work run well she's like clearly proven herself to be an intelligent uh, woman of skill um who doesn't need him in a way that he doesn't like like he probably wants him to need him in a different kind of way Mm -hmm. so like it just it feels like like you were saying matt like he was doing the same thing that don was doing this is just someone who he idealizes and feels like is going to fix him the same way Don did with Betty. And then he did with literally every other woman except Joan. So like, I agree on the one hand that like, yes, I I do think Peggy does see him um, better than Trudy does. And that's actually why she's able to be like, I'm not going to choose you. If I wanted you, I could have had you in my life mm-hmm. forever. But at the same time, like, he's so good at hiding the other side of himself that I don't think she- there's still that part of him that, like, no one really sees or touches. Yeah, absolutely. I do agree. Uh, but it's not all Pete uh, on this. We get a whole lot of Peggy. And uh, men are just, like, they're just really trying it with her this episode. I'm so done with Father Gill. So done. Mm-hmm. So done. Mm-hmm. Like, please stop with the, like, I'm a man of the Lord, and so therefore I don't need to respect boundaries. Like, please stop. I don't even know what more to say about that. <laughs> I just hate it. It's like when he in church and he's giving his homily and he's saying things. I'm like, actually, this is fairly reasonable advice. It's like trying to tell the congregation, like, look, it's a scary time right now. You can't really worry about that. You just have to worry about what you can control and worry about the state of your eternal soul and everything that happens. Because, like, mm-hmm. what else are you going to do? Right? right. Good advice. Then he gets to Peggy and it just becomes really weird. Like, confess, you're going to go to hell. I, you know, she even I'm says, here at this parish for like, parish for you specifically. Yeah, and she even says, like, you're upsetting me. And he's like, who cares? It's the end so of the world. <laughs> he's so weird about the whole savory thing. Just, like, so focused on her to the point where I'm like, this, I don't think this is about Peggy. No. <laughs> Barely certain this is all about you and things that you're feeling guilty about. Oh, totally, right? And, like, we, we talked, whatever, a couple episodes ago, maybe six-month affair. Um, don't remember exactly when. But the idea of 
people as projects and, and Gil picking out Peggy as a project. That's why he, you know, asked her to help with the, the promo of the dance and, and, and so on and so forth. And like, this to me is kind of the logical extension of when someone like Gil picks someone as a project to quote unquote save. And I think you're exactly correct. The idea of like the, the projection that he has now put on that project, the self projection he's now put on that project in the face of fears of nuclear Armageddon. Right. And like saying like, yeah, it's, it's, it's now or never. Do you want to go to hell? We're going to get bombed tomorrow. Like, right. So it's, that's why you don't make people projects like that because it's not good. Yeah, it's weird the way he's just like sort of like spiritually forcing himself on her as a means to distance himself. It's just unpleasant. When Father Gill is like, I, you know, if you don't, if you don't absolve your guilt and your sins, you know, you will go to hell. And she's like, well, I just don't really believe that that's the way God is. And like, you know what, Peggy? Big same. I also don't really believe the way that that I don't believe that God is that way. So cool. <laughs> I love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, but um, clearly the whole confessing thing does seem to stick to her, mm -hmm. though not necessarily in the way that what's his bucket expected. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean with B? Yeah. With uh, yeah. Yeah. So he says. After Peggy tells Pete, like, I could have had you, I could have shamed you into being with me, like, I didn't want to do that. He says, why would you tell me that? And so thinking about that, I'm like, why did Peggy tell him that? Is it because Pete was saying, like, I love you because you're perfect and she didn't want him to, like, believe that or she didn't want to for him to be like claiming that he loves her under false pretenses or is it because he said that like he saw her and he knew her and she wanted that to actually be true and so he needed to know the whole truth about her um was like telling him about the baby was that her unburdening was that her confession so if the bombs get dropped tonight she's not going to hell i i really like this idea of like she didn't want Pete to believe that he was per that she was perfect because you know going back to the whole idealizing thing, um, it's because it's it's uh, how do I want to put this? Because I think she could see what he's doing with his like weird smile as he's smiling at her, <laughs> uh, holding a drink and offering it because like it's it's not real and I don't think mm -hmm. she wants necessarily wants him to be like I love you now that I see how you really are but it just it rings false so I really like that coincidentally it is also as as we record this the I think 11th anniversary of 500 days of summer a, <laughs> an entire movie about a man who idealizes a woman who he thinks is going to fix his entire life but actually it's uh it's just kind of a big mess um but I do like the I, I also like the whole like she's She's been carrying this burden for him this entire time that, you know, and it's been weighing on her and we've seen her be tortured by it. So she just kind of lets it go. Like, guess what? You're sharing the load, too, buddy. Uh -huh. You want to know me? You, like, you want. This is what you said. <laughs> I do know stuff about you that other people don't. You're actually a dad. Boom. Oof. I also really liked when Pete came to talk to her. Um, about the clear cell accounts and what he should say and all that stuff. And she tells her to just, just, 
just say something, you know, don't worry about the outcome. People will respect that. And I think that's the moment where she truly calls him out. Like, you're kind of a weasel. You're going to try to avoid confrontation because it's going to be easier, but it's going to make things worse. And I was like, is that the moment where Pete thought, wow, she really sees me? Well, because she also straight up says, like, I don't want you blaming creative. That's such a great moment. She's saying it like as she walked out the door. Throw away line. Here's your life. Mm-hmm. It's so great the way she just like owns everything that she went through to get to this moment mm-hmm. and is like in full possession of her own power because she really could have genuinely ruined his life. And I think this is her like recognizing that as opposed to this thing, she, this shame she has to hide. It's mm-hmm. like, mm, we, I could ruin your life with your mistake. Mm-hmm. It's great. Also great. Her haircut. I love Don in that moment. Like, that's the what. Like, first he notices that she has an office and asks, Do I work for you now? And then he notices she has a haircut. It's like, damn, so he's paying attention. Besides her office and her haircut, anything else change around here? I really loved when he was like, Oh, do I work for her now? Her little, like, smile, she's like, Hee hee hee. She's so proud. And was it last episode? I think it might have been, or the episode before that, whenever, like, the episode after she got the haircut, wasn't Peter like, you look different. What's different? And like, I couldn't figure it out. And like, Don, without skipping a beat, notices it's it's the office and the hair. Like, you know, so he gets a couple points for that, I guess. He sees Peggy. That's just all there is to it. Yeah. Also great was that dress, all fitted and cute, and not like vavumi, but just like, hey, I look good and I know it. Yeah, I love that power, dress. Power outfit. I bummed we only got it in the one scene, but I know I did love it. Yeah, I, I was very excited for her. Keep keep watching how Peggy is is costumed because I like the costuming on the show that that Janie Bryan did. I think is 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 it's great, and I mean it looks great, and like each character has their own own palettes, and you know it's it's very like methodical and 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 thought out, and if you don't. Uh, follow either of her accounts on instagram i highly highly recommend it um because she's a great instagram follow and it goes in not just Mad Men but other other projects like last tycoon and, and deadwood and stuff that she's she's worked on with little little profiles and you know costumes and things like that but uh, definitely continue to track how peggy is costumed as we go further and think about where where she started we've been talking a lot about the hair this season too but um Keep clocking the costumes. It's something worth worth continuing to look at. Fascinating. Cool. All right. The Drapers. Um, oh, Lord. We start the episode with Betty at the doctor, and she's pregnant. And she tells him, like, this is my main takeaway from this. More than the fact that she's even pregnant is the fact that her doctor um, is like, she's telling him, like, I can't have a baby right now. And he basically says, like, if we're talking about abortion, I can't believe that a married woman of means would be thinking about that. And I'm just very frustrated that, like, upholding the patriarchal view of marriage is more important to him than his patient. And, like, we obviously know Betty's situation, so it's not necessarily this this worry. But, like, what if this was a victim of abuse? Like, what if this... I mean... End of sentence. 
what if this was the case? This is a woman who is telling you she can't have a baby because her husband is dangerous to her, and it doesn't really matter that they're married. It doesn't matter that they have money. Like, this could still be an abuse situation, and this doctor's just like, whoop, don't care. Yeah, I think there's um a, a big problem it addresses where they didn't care or is something that you didn't discuss or talk about or acknowledge um, back then and even still nowadays and she said you yeah. know he even says to her you are a woman you are a happily married woman of means you have money you know you're fine you can't possibly be having any real problems right now he says to her you know th- that is an option for young girls who have no other option although he like still surprisingly kind of says sideways that like this is an option that I could possibly help you with, but, but I'm going to also make you feel kind of shameful about it. Well, no, I was going to say, if, if you could pull aside this doctor character, whose name I don't recall right now. Um, and like, I had a conversation with him about it, like in character, my read would be, he would think the way he handles that conversation. And even like, entertaining it probably makes him the best doctor in the world because while he's being very very judgy and 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 kind of upholding patriarchy and all these things that are of course correct he's like well i'm actually realistically having entertaining this conversation with you um because i'm sure there are doctors that in 1962 and probably well, it's in 2020 as well that wouldn't would have an even probably stronger reaction mm-hmm. to to this conversation, which, again, doesn't excuse how he handles it because he handles it terribly, and I agree with you there. But it's just interesting to me how people... Th- I mean, and everyone thinks this to a certain degree, how we're, like, the main characters in our own stories and the heroes in our own stories. And, like, like with Father Gill with the Peggy stuff, he thinks what he's doing is right and thinks he's you know, even entertaining and, and, you know, spending the time with, with Peggy and father's Gill situation, like, Oh, here's the Easter egg for the child that I, that your sister told me about, or if this is a conversation I think we're having, we can talk about it, but you don't need that. Mm-hmm. Like my, I, I feel like they're feeling like they're being compassionate while still upholding sh- systemic inequalities. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating. Yeah. I think this is one of the things to point out that when this aired in 2008, people were probably like, oh, my God, like, look at how that doctor's not supporting her. But then again, did they think that? Or is this like something that is like super frustrating for us to see? And yet the show doesn't even touch, like doesn't even think about addressing the fact that like this isn't a like. This is, I don't know if I want to say, like, abuse. This is not, like, a healthy doctor-patient relationship. This isn't, like, a good way for this doctor to be providing health care to women. Uh, but the show doesn't say anything about it, and it doesn't, it doesn't comment on it in terms of in the 60s or in 2008, and it just looks even worse in 2020. I don't remember the reaction uh, when this first aired, but uh, I do think that it is very much a situation where they're like, the 60s, sexism, Mm -hmm. doesn't it suck? Uh, Moving on. And it's 
And I say that primarily because that is something that the show has done repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And I believe will continue to just kind of like name checking it for the credit. And that's kind of like it. It is something that um, still frustrates me to the day about to this day about the show. And frankly, about a lot of things. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, I think the whole point is to be like, oh, Petty, Betty feels like she doesn't have any like real recourse or any support. And uh, like you like, you know, we were saying, Matt, he's probably still more a progressive doctor at the time than you would expect, especially for like such an older white gentleman of the times. But it's very frustrating. And the fact that it is frustrating also that she doesn't point out that like we're separated right now. I don't know how that's going to go, but it's not really a conducive environment to be sharing such truthful things anyways. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I think, too, just to build off of that, like, he's clearly not listening to his patient, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a problem uh, that a lot of patients in any healthcare system, um, whether it's 1962, 2008, 2020, whether it's in, in Canada or the U.S. or, or wherever, where certain f- physicians aren't necessarily going to listen to their patients that do know their own bodies and, and their own circumstances. And he, he doesn't really receive what what. Betty is is saying right and I, and I think that that's something too when we're talking about various forms of patriarchal oppression that like women are more likely to be unbelieved you know in a situation like that when they're, they're seeking kind of their talking to their their physician and things like that when something whether it's you know a, an undiagnosed chronic illness or, or different things like that than their male counterparts would be and even within that when you start talking about like you know through through kind of more of a a a racial inequality lens um black indigenous and other people of color especially like black women specifically are even more likely less to be believed by their physicians when they you know whether it's their primary care physicians or they present at emerge or anything else like that so even in in him trying to like you say be not one of the quote-unquote bad ones um he's still kind of blind to his own kind of privilege in the way that he perpetuates inequality right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. being paternalistic good intention like well-intentioned but still terrible at least francine for all her terribleness when betty tells her at the hair salon in that low-key way of like maybe can't let this happen she's just like all right here are your concrete options we can go to upstate new york we can go to puerto rico although right now maybe not maybe not right now <laughs> I like that for Francine. It was good. Mm-hmm. It was it was a nice moment because it's still very like it doesn't redeem all her awfulness up until now, but it's also still her being there for her lady friend. Yeah. Well, and she's listening. Yeah. Right? Like yes. that's been that's been I think our kind of our frustration in some of their interactions in the show so far and they especially like in season 1 where like they'd be talking and like Betty would be trying to reach out to the women in her extended circle, whether it was Mona Sterling and, you know, early in season two in the, in the late ladies room or all these interactions with, with Francine where like Francine had these walls up and, and Mona, like, or, you know, had these walls up and like, wouldn't like Betty was scratching 
at at the doors, at the windows, at the screens, whatever you want to want to use to try and like be heard by someone. And now Francine is actually listening and, and giving kind of some some concrete advice and, and steps too, which I think we haven't always seen from Francine. So that I think is the, the difference for me in this interaction. I think it's nice to see that even when Francine, who is not necessarily a great friend all the time, she's like caught up in her own shit pretty much always. Constantly. Yeah. When it comes to like a situation that is rooted 100% in like the patriarchal oppression of women, Francine is like, I'm here for you. Like this isn't, this isn't like a petty not not that Betty's problems were ever petty, but Francine, this isn't a problem that Francine can overshadow with her own shit because this is a fundamental problem of, like, being a woman in the world. And I just, I like that for Francine. Like, you know, people are shitty friends, but it's nice that, like, when it comes to, like, this, like, you know, like... When the shit hits the fan moment. Yeah, exactly, like... When the when the chips are down, Francine is a chips are down kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do wonder though. She hadn't had all the stuff with her husband happen. If she would have been as aware or empathetic in that moment, but that's the what if. What if we will never have the answer to? Yep, absolutely. Um, I will say that I'm like very tired of. If anybody listens to my other podcast, I talk about this a lot on Wild Pretty Things that, like, I really fucking hate pregnancy reveals. I don't, like, I don't need to sit and watch, like, a woman vomit a bunch of times or, like, sit on the toilet and look longingly at her underwear. Like, I just am really happy that this wasn't, like, a (laughs) surprise. All of this was a pregnancy. Like, nah, it's 30 seconds in and out. She's pregnant. Now we know. Like, the pregnancy, like, uh, the, the, the uncertainty about whether or not she was pregnant or not wasn't the source of drama, and, like, that's the shit that I'm tired of. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there. They alluded to it already before, but not, like, big in your face, heavy question mark in the air kind of way, and then they just answered it for us right at the beginning of the episode. That was nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about Betty being pregnant at all as a like a plot thing? <sighs> you know, it's never my favorite. <laughs> I yeah, I I think uh, no, let me stop. Let, let me start again. I agree that how the pregnancy reveal was handled with Betty compared to last season with Peggy is is better. I think I agree that it was done better. Um I think and we'll see what what happens next season. Um I can see where they would want to create you know have have a pregnancy to um as a, as another thing that the Drapers then have to you know respond to in terms of the loop that Dawn is on and and everything else, I I can see that I don't necessarily disagree with that from a a story perspective. Mm-hmm. I can see how it can be I can see how it can be ripe for story and and you know conflict and and you know writing going forward where. 
I have some hesitation is at the, up to this point, we have two seasons of Mad Men and two of our main female characters have had storylines that, that revolves pregnancy and like, and like surprise pregnancies. And well, I guess, and it's even more than that. Cause you have, you know, with, with Trudy, you have a, a female character wanting to be pregnant, which I think is, I mean, I think that that's important representation too, right. To have kind like, cause that there's lots of people who, who try very hard to, to be pregnant and for various reasons, um, it, it doesn't happen. Right. So I think that that's important to see that on screen as well. But when you're talking about who the two female leads are, it's January Jones and Elizabeth Moss and, in consecutive seasons, they've had reveals around pregnancy and I'm like, okay, fair enough. I get it. I don't think I necessarily need another surprise pregnancy in the show anytime soon. Right. Um, not to like, I love Grey's Anatomy, but like, I don't think that I am being a shitty person when I say that, like, Grey's Anatomy and Mad Men aren't supposed to be on the same level of storytelling. And, like, these revolving pregnancies is a Grey's Anatomy thing, you know? <laughs> like, that's a mm-hmm. show that's been running for 16 seasons, and so when you want to, like, burn through plot and rotate characters, you have a lot of pregnancies because it gets people together. It breaks them up, it, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need that on Mad Men because you're not trying to tell 16 years worth of stories with a rotating cast of 180 characters. Mm-hmm. It's just exhausting and, and like lazy. <laughs> yeah. And like, I know it, it happens. I know it, especially, you know, previous to now, but especially in the era that gave us the, the pill, it's going to happen. There are women who are trapped in their situations because or or stuck in a really difficult time uh because or situation because of a pregnancy because the patriarchy it all sucks it's it's not great it happens but it's almost as if it's like do you have any other ideas in your head on what you can do with a woman's story other than just get her pregnant right anything at all is there anything else she's capable of doing like we know we get it it's not fun it's realistic but also just like <sighs> really yeah it is soap opera it is it's fanfic and it's not it's not something that we can say like oh in 2008 maybe this would have been like novel no nope. women have basically been only getting pregnant in stories since the invention of stories and women so it's not like you're breaking new ground mm-mm we already know it's terrible being a woman in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, you can't really. I was going to be like, there's other things going on in Betty and Tom's relationship outside of the pregnancy. And like, that's almost true. But like, you know, just moving on from that part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not a good transition. <laughs> My apologies. It's, it's an added complication to their the current state of their relationship and their their dynamic right and like especially to me think about the most time they've spent together in the last couple months of of the show was 
after Betty's dad's stroke, where he went down down with her to to his father, her dad's house, and like ostensibly, I think we're supposed to infer that's when um, Betty yes. got pregnant because yes. that's we ha- until this episode, and, and this is maybe where we can like can segue into the reversal of positions of Don and Betty in this episode for a, a couple scenes, um, but we haven't seen. Betty until this episode be with anyone in unless except Don in that one instance. So I think we're supposed to infer that that's when Jean was conceived when um they stayed in her her childhood bedroom. Um what did we think about the speaking of sex? <laughs> what did we think about the kind of role reversal a bit in this episode, right? So you have Betty dropping the kids off with Don at the hotel. So and Don's, you know, watching watching the kids. They're watching TV in the hotel room. He's writing a letter we can talk about in a moment. And Betty goes out, you know, goes out shopping and then has a, a night on herself where she goes out, hooks up with the, the gentleman at the at the bar and then goes home and has some cold fried chicken from from the fridge, which I was like, yeah, that that would probably taste good after after everything that that happened. What did we think about that kind of reversal? Um, So Annie has some really good points about this situation in the notes that I think are more important than what oh. I'm going to say. But what I do want to say is like, <laughs> I love this for Betty. Maybe not all the aspects of it, but I like like Betty being like, well, I'm about to go creep around in a bar and have sex with a rando. You've been doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been saying, After a little shopping. Yeah, I've been saying for a long time that I wanted Betty to like get some on the side. So for those reasons, <laughs> I like it. But more importantly are some points that Annie has in these notes here. Oh, <laughs> no. Um. So before I get to that my question with this moment and this this like portrayal of the reversal was just kind of like why like was do you guys think that she intended to go out and have like sort uh, that sort of fun or was it like when she was going out and leaving the kids behind and you know turning down Don's offer for dinner and then doing a little shopping like what what do you think she was doing? Do you think that she just intend she intended to go out and have some fun, or was it just like I need to get out and clear my head, or what? Oh no, I think that when she said I have plans, this was the plans. <laughs> because I think that when whenever it was becoming clear that she was gonna be keeping this baby, she was probably like, I have to figure out how to make my relationship work. I want to feel like an equal in it. Hmm. That's or at least point. maybe I'm projecting. <laughs> no, I I mean, my read is, is pretty similar in that, that I think the f- purpose of this reversal in the context of the show is an expression of Betty's agency that's been been kind of developing throughout the... I mean, it's always been that, but her... her uh, her the way she accesses it um kind of the culmination in in some ways of what's been happening specifically this season right like i i think it's an expression of betty kind of reclaiming a certain kind of power that she feels has been either taken from or limited by Don. She says to Don when he shows up at the the riding stables when he comes back from california that 
him being gone hasn't really been that much different for her, mm-hmm. right? That she hasn't really noticed that much of a change. And then, and we know earlier this season too, she set up um, Sarah Beth and and Arthur, and then kind of washed her hands of 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 the choices. And again, I I don't disagree that she didn't you know make Sarah Beth sleep with Arthur or anything else like that. But again, like. I think Betty was exerting a bit of control over that situation and taking the phone off the hook. And then, you know, she's, she's playing with and looking and exercising power. She either didn't know she had before, or she's now kind of feeling comfortable and accessing it. So I think this at the, the bar and then the, the hookup as, as it were mm-hmm. in the, manager's office or wherever it was I think is another kind of expression of that um do I know do I think it was completely thought out and premeditated I don't think so but I think within the context again of those these kind of like stepping out in in different ways playing with power in different ways and we know back last season when the air conditioning salesman was around um she was kind of thinking about, well, what if I had let him upstairs after? So maybe that's been playing in her mind, and now it's either like a... Re- like. I think calling it a revenge fuck would be too reductive hmm. based on what what I think is going on in the exercises of, of power, but I don't know. I like it. No, um, uh, yeah, that was something I was like wondering about because... Sometimes I think the show does still underestimate her and her own agency mm-hmm. and what she chooses to do. So it's and I don't always think that they're great at portraying like what is driving her, what she wants, which is fine because that's how everyone else in the show treats her anyways. Hmm. Um, but one thing that I found kind of uh, incongruent with what was happening, because like I f- this was the moment I was talking about earlier when I said this feels like Matthew Weiner because when the admittedly extremely handsome man who buys her a drink comes over to talk to her the the dialogue just feels so weird mm-hmm. and you know like it's meant to be kind of artsy and it's a line but at the same time the it i can't, i feel bad for this actor who has to deliver these lines and make them sound fairly natural and reasonable but it just sounds like something out of some you know film school kids attempt at uh some art film and later on when he follows her to the bathroom he's like what are you doing here you're like that's no one talks like that that's not even close not even like tv fake talk Mm -hmm. um but i the incongruity that i i disliked about this moment in that hallway outside the bathrooms was like in that moment she gives him a glance like i want you to follow me kind of thing happening but then the bathroom is locked and she's just leaning there and he's appears behind her and it's the lighting mm-hmm. is it just feels really menacing and then the whole there was a moment where I'm like oh no is something bad gonna mm-hmm. happen to her but then like no actually she wants this and she's gonna follow him into the surprisingly nice me- me- you know restroom that has a full-on chaise lounge on it and I did not like that at all because it's it's confusing it was inconsistent. I didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, and I really didn't like her body language in the hallway. She's like leaning into the wall. She's got she's like her. She has even like her head on the wall, and she mm-hmm. like I don't know. It just 
I didn't it, love it. Yeah, it almost kind of seems like other scenes you see in something else where they're like, she's been roofied and now she's just acquiescing because she's not in her right mind, mm-hmm. which, yeah, she's not in her right mind, but like not not maliciously by someone else. Um, so yeah, that was one thing I did not like about that moment, but I thought it was really interesting that one thing that could have like impeded her from doing this kind of thing. And a lot of women from, you know, stepping out on their man or having just in general, um, you know, being sexually free is that pregnancy is always a possibility. And it always just seems like some people when they least think that they're, like you know at risk is when that happens so especially on mad men especially on mad men (laughs) weirdly this thing that is trapping her also kind of gives her freedom to like fine we'll go and do it because uh can't get more pregnanter yeah i really loved reading that in the notes because i didn't even think about it but like of course yeah and i think you definitely like i agree i think the lighting and the direction of it which, I mean, Weiner did direct the episode, too. So, like, mm. so it is all on him in this case. It, it is, it, it it does feel incongruent. I agree. And, like, I could make the argument, and, I, like, I think one could make the argument that, again, it, it's probably intended to be that whole kind of, like, dream logic kind of otherworldly sense but if that's what the show was going for, that's not how it reads. And especially within the context of what happened just one week ago in, in Showtime, um, like last episode with um, the experiences of some other characters that we talked about last week. Yeah, it's it does. There's something reading incorrectly with with the direction and it i mean even if you argued that it's like oh well she's supposed to appear kind of you know subservient to the moment she's giving into the moment and but really she has the power which again i do think it is about her expressing her own kind of sexual agency but i agree that the direction of that scene doesn't read that way mm mm-hmm just feels like something bad's going to happen to her and maybe it'll be her fault and I don't like it. Yeah. I wonder if she ever tells Don. Mm, great question. Probably doesn't need to. Probably doesn't. Don doesn't tell her shit. Although, refreshingly, and I think it's not just, I mean, the pregnancy is probably a big reason, but when he runs into her slash has been waiting for her at the stables for half an hour in the heat in a suit, he is like, I wasn't respectful to you. And that was seems like such a big moment for her. Because mm-hmm. it's not an actually apology, tells him. but it is an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of what happened, which is, like, honestly more important to her, I think, at this point. Because, I mean, she even says, like, well, now I know I'm not crazy. Like, he had been gaslighting mm-hmm. her. And she was like, yeah, exactly. I know you weren't. It's like... Thank you, because this whole time he's buying into this, like, I'm such a good husband, good dad and provider and all this stuff. And how dare you even try to accuse me of being uh, unfaithful when, like, literally from day one on the show, it's just him and a woman who's not his wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about the letter? Pretty words. 
It's a bitch. Oh. <laughs> that Them's fighting words. I want to believe it. And, like, the fact that I want to believe it, I think, says everything about how the show wants us to feel about Don Draper. And, again, to go back to the, the Westworld analogy, like, as he goes on his loops and tries to find the center of the maze and self-actualization and, like, whatever he is running from or should be running to or should be seeking, um, I want to believe it, but I don't, I don't know if to this point I've seen anything that makes me want to, cause his, it, how is this letter different from him deciding he wanted to go to his in-laws for Thanksgiving after all? True. Right. Like, so I don't know. We'll see. I believe that he believes it. Well, a man is whatever room he's in, right? So, Ugh. yeah, I don't, I don't give him that much credit. And I mean, I guess, the, the, I guess we. Part of why I want to believe it is because a lot of the this season and like the last couple episodes, particularly, have been Don scared about nuclear Armageddon. That's why when he first goes out to to California before he starts chasing Joy. Um, he starts that chase after being freaked out during the one briefing about nuclear weapons, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of part of what incites his 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 run or the final straw. And in the face of all these titular meditations in an emergency um, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, Don seems to be the one that's the least phased by potential nuclear Armageddon. It's because he is so focused on getting his life back because he's now back at work. He's, you know, ha had his kind of <laughs> cleansing moments with, with Anna in California. He <laughs> washed himself pure in the ocean. Um, and now he's back at work. He wants his, you know, he wants his family back. He's decided that that's the most important thing to him right now. So maybe it'll be different. I just, I don't know. We'll see. Do I don't think at any point we ever get the sense that like Betty is really affected by that whole thing looming over the nation's head, this potential for nuclear war. Well, may I say nation? It's kind of like a whole global thing. If anything gets started, not that I would know anything about global disasters and catastrophes right now. But I do. I mean, this is basically her entire world just exploding anyways. I do think... What do I think uh, anymore? I do think that like everyone's you know so tense in this episode as we see in different uh, th in different scenes. While Don may be kind of relieved that he's been sort of welcomed back into the house and everything, and he clearly has this other thing hanging over his head as well. Like Betty doesn't seem particularly relieved about revealing the pregnancy to Don mm -hmm. or having him back. She just looks so, she, I mean, she looked like she was going to throw up basically when she told him just this real tension and fear and it doesn't go away even as they hold hands. Yeah. I mean, how much can she even trust on? Like, yeah, this letter and like the admission that he wasn't respectful to her. Like, yeah, that's nice. But like to just jump right in with like a brand new baby when like they really still have like shit to work out. It's just... I can definitely understand, like, her apprehension. Mm-hmm. 
It's like there from the second he walks in that night. It's in her it's in her face when she looks at him and he sits down next to her all the way to the very last second. Um, hmm. I wondered if like Pete like leaving his office being like, Oh, the Russians aren't are reconsidering now that we've made a stand. Uh, mm. is that what prompts on to like take this stand in like their merger meeting? <laughs> Cause you get like a shot of his face, like pondering what Pete said. And I'm like, is that in- like, why would that be important? And then Don's in the meeting being like, Oh, I'm not going to, that company sounds fine, but I'm not going to be working at it. I don't fuck you. Russia. No. <laughs> well, he's always had kind of a weird loyalty to like, and version of integrity when it comes to like the heart of advertising i don't know he even says you know um uh, well because i mean it's such a bird thing too bird cooper because he at some point he's like i didn't hear the word client once in any of that stuff you just said duck and um dot himself also sells i don't sell what's he say i have it somewhere he sells i sell products, products not advertising oh don't don't start going about the art and the truth of all of this, Don. But I mean, does he? Is it just because he just doesn't like duck? I mean, maybe he's like, I'm not going to be having duck of all people telling me how to run my shit. And I think it was also just so he could drop this fire line. I don't have a contract. <laughs> oh, he doesn't want the duck. It's too greasy. Boom! <laughs> and I just started laughing so hard when Duck stood up to start giving a speech, and no one cared. Even even his new bosses were like, "Eh, Duck can't really hold his drink. He's never been able to." Mm-hmm. They're like, "I ah, just let him go. Who cares?" Yeah, I think it's like like. Go ahead. Well, that just, like, sucks for Duck because this company, right off the bat, is like, nah, I mean, like, we're going to maybe pick Draper over Duck. Even though Duck's the one that brought us this deal, but we're just going to let... The person who we're letting throw a temper tantrum is Duck, not Don. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be so frustrating. Oh, Duck. I am, I am, I was slightly surprised when, you know, when Duck stormed out or they told him to leave the room and Max Sheffield wasn't like, yeah, no, but like a huge part of your values, Don Draper, and that's why we wanted to do this merger. Yeah. I think, yeah. All right. So in 1962, hold please, get some more zeros in there, $500,000, so, which is... I don't I think Roger says that Don makes a little over half a mil. So well, let's just do a conservative estimate of just let's just go half a mil. In 1962 would be four, almost $4.3 million. So $4,268,162 in 2020 dollars. So I at first when I watched the episode and Don left his suitcase when he said he was going home and Joan should go home too, I'm like, oh, you see, he's decided he wants to be a husband. So his family's all that matters to him right now in this moment. But maybe it's because he's a multimillionaire. Yeah. I mean, a little 
little bit of both. Yeah. Like, he doesn't need to work on the weekend right now because, for one, he wants to focus on his relationship, hopefully. But also, I got half a milli. I don't need this. Got more important things on his mind. I, I had taken that as, like, well, I just kind of torched that bridge, possibly. So come Monday, if we're still alive, or come Monday, either I won't be alive or I won't have a job. So maybe I don't need it. Yeah, that's Bye. that's probably the most accurate reading. But if he had mentioned he it, if Betty had, some... sorry, yeah, no, no, sorry, I said, but he would totally like spin Betty on it if she asked where his suitcase was. He'd do what he did to her, what he did to Pete earlier when he was caught. <laughs> yeah, he still totally has that money. That money is still his. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> what's what's that Rogers line? I mean, Rogers the worst, but it's like best vacation you ever took. He's gone for three weeks yeah. and made made over four million dollars and four million twenty twenty dollars. Yeah, the whole thing starts off with just like I hope you are off looking for a new job, but actually we're just gonna give you a ton of money. <laughs> Yay! Because it seemed a little bit like Roger was, like, get really mad at, like, Don about being on vacation. But then that little line about, like, oh, best vacation you ever took. Like, ah, Roger. We're just <laughs> laughing about this. And then he says, you can go back to your office and calculate how much I made. This whole friggin' boys club just supporting each other when they flop around. And literally, like, Don didn't even do nothing. He did, like, the opposite of good. He just disappeared. But it's fine. It's totally fine. Do we want to do bits and bobs? Yeah. Bits and bobs. Yeah. Bits and bobs. My bit and bob is to mention how unnecessary this line about the merger is when they're like, oh, uh, t- you know, the wedding's over. Time to slip off the dress and spend a night with the bride. Hehehe. <laughs> Like, why do you have to make everything fucking predatory and sexual? Can you relax? Like, stop it. Haha, the 60s. Yeah. Um, yeah, the 60s. I also... How, how terrible it was back then. Yeah, back then. Get it? We've changed. Um, I also really want to shout out Lois saying, like, y'all pulled me out of this meeting. You know I'm not supposed to tell you about it. Sal says, we'll, we'll owe you a favor. And she says, yeah, if any of you idiots get to keep your job, you're taking me off the switchboard. <laughs> I had mad respect for her in that yeah, moment because she was it. divulging a lot of stuff. She, I was like, wow, you are spilling all of it. But, like, she's still smart. She knows what's up. I really also enjoyed the guys and their, like, weird, like, um reconnaissance trying to gather all the information about what's happening you know they they know to go to the switchboard ladies because they have all the all the stuff but kinsey especially was just like this is a matter of great security code word um los angeles yeah los angeles and he had this ridiculous way of saying everything that was so stupid but also so kinsey and it was fantastic when they burned his beard that's what I was going to bring up. They're not going to tell you anything. You have a Castro beard. (laughs) (laughs) It was such a wonderful, like, moment of paranoia that wasn't related to the Russians. (laughs) There was also a moment, speaking of the Russians, where uh, Joan asked basically for a safety protocol in case something happens. And she doesn't bring it up with anyone else. She brings it up to Don when he comes back. 
which I thought was interesting. But on just like, you know, going going to the stairs or diving under a desk isn't going to do anything. So like, meh. Yeah. And I, I did the, the I don't know. I Don has a point about like he doesn't actually. People people do have a right to know about their safety precautions. Yeah, if nothing else, it'll make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was all my bits and all my bobs. I think I, I think it's fair to say we've already had a lot to say anyways. So. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> um, to close out, Matt, where can people find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at at Mattyheel, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. Annie? You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Pop Artery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. I also have another podcast called The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K, all about Jane Austen. We are currently finishing up Pride and Prejudice and are about to start covering the uh, adaptation. So join us there. Melissa. You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O Yellow. You can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast. We just recorded an episode um, analyzing the Netflix show Hollywood. Um, So that'll be up Hmm. soon. Um, If you want to email this podcast, we are at stillgreatbob at gmail.com. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can do that at stillgreatpod. Um, I believe that's... Are we on Instagram? Never mind. Um, Anyway, if you like the show, please rate and review on the podcasting system of your choice. And as always, thanks to DJ Empirical for our new theme. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Till next time, guys. Bye. Just because a girl likes the same bizarre crap you do doesn't make her your soulmate.